0: Adeline Martin is a USA Today best-selling author who writes historical fiction and historical romance, usually set anywhere between the 14th century and the Regency. Her romance is full of adventurous twists and turns, empowered heroines and men who are strong enough to love them. But with her latest book, The Last Bookshop in London, she's taken a new path into World War II Europe.
1: Welcome to the joys of binge reading the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next installment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free e-book and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com And now, here's our show.
0: Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and in today's binge reading episode, Madeline talks about the transformative power of books in hard times, what her World War II research threw up in terms of detailed gems about daily life during the Blitz, and the parallels between living in dark times, whether it be 20th century Blitz or 21st century Pandemic. But before we get to Madeline, I've got some exciting news to share. I've been doing these author interviews weekly since September 2017. And there are currently 170 really fabulous binge reading interviews with top authors available online. From next month, June 1, we're expanding the show to give listeners who love what we do an opportunity to subscribe to Binge Reading on Patreon in return for extra monthly bonus content and a wealth of other benefits we're still planning and thinking about joining patreon will allow you to find even more great books you won't want to put down as well as get to know your favorite authors better you'll also help us provide more features that bookaholics love For the cost of a cup of coffee a month, you'll get access to new features, like getting to know you quickfire author questions, exclusive to Patreon. I've already started recording these five spontaneous questions with authors who are happy to take part, and they give fresh and funny insights into our guests If you want to find out more about Binge Reading on Patreon, head to the joysofbingereading.com homepage and you'll find lots more there. But now, here's Madeline. Hello there, Madeline, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us.
2: Hello. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm so excited to be on The Joy of
0: Binge Reading. What a great name for a show. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes, well, look, this, this book that we're going to be particularly discussing, your first historical fiction and this type of fiction. You've done romances, but The Last Bookshop in London, and it is very much about not exactly binge reading, but about the importance of people being able to escape into other worlds that are created by authors. And also it takes the fate of London bookshops during the Blitz. So I just wondered, those are kind of like the two keystones of the story, the fate of the bookshops, plus The Joy of Being Able to Escape into Fiction. Which one of those was the first thing when you were working on this book, when you first came to it?
2: Um, It really was sort of the survivability of bookshops despite the blitz going on in London and also really how community is built around books and really how books can help get us through really dark times. So, I mean that was really the focus of it. I you know, I really kind of wanted the last bookshop in London to be a celebration of reading.
0: Yeah. And I guess you would have started this long before we got this pandemic, but it's remarkably resonant in these times, isn't it? It really
2: really is. You know, I've actually a couple of scenes in the last bookshop in London were inspired by my association with how Grace might have been feeling while I was living during the pandemic because obviously you know, the blitz and the pandemic are two very different catastrophic events, but they're still very catastrophic events. And at its core, humanity is still going to react in a certain way. And I feel like with the pandemic going on, it really gave me a very strong insight into what Grace might've been living through had I
0: not been going through the pandemic. That's great. And also, people have been concerned about the future of bookshops because of the way that people are curtailed from going out shopping. I mean, I suppose they can shop online, but it's probably made uh, life fragile for quite a lot of independent bookshops.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I know um, even really once ebooks started to get as popular as they were, that's when we really started to see a fall in the brick-and-mortar bookshops. I know I personally go to Barnes and Noble often. We like even when my fiance and I go on date night, we always stop by Barnes and Noble and I always buy something and my girl's always buy something. Like we want so much to just promote that because you know, going to bookstores it's been such a huge part of our lives growing up. I mean, the independent bookstores and even like I said the chain ones like Barnes and Noble, just bookstores in general, it, it really just has a certain feel to it doesn't it it does
0: yeah it does now your character grace she's she's really quite delightful because she's so young and innocent at the beginning she's moved to London from the country she she seems hardly aware that there is is a war going on because of course when she arrives there the bombs haven't started falling it's the phony war. And she's right. wondering, well, when is this war going to start? She's aiming to get a job in, a, in somewhere like Harrods in the cosmetics counter and ends up in a bookstore when she doesn't really have any particular interest in books. Uh, so we're kind of concerned for her because she is quite a vulnerable person right at the beginning, isn't she? Right. Yeah, she
2: definitely is. And I think that through that, it really lends itself for her for the opportunity to find that inner strength. I think a lot of us start off with certain things I know for myself, I have in my life where I feel equipped to handle something. And then I get there and realize I'm weighing over my head. And somehow you reach down and you find that strength inside of yourself. And then at the end, you can kind of look back and think, oh my gosh, I actually came through, you know, and I, I did this. And so I kind of wanted to demonstrate that um, in grace and hope that it might resonate with some people who have been not through similar things, but who have had uh, internal challenges themselves
0: like she has. Yes, and she really does do that. She starts to show that inner courage without being in the least bit kind of preachy about it. It's, It's a lovely way that she evolves as a character. She starts out hardly really caring about books, totally ignorant about books. And from a (laughs) reader point of view, it's almost irritating because she thinks of books in much the same framework as hardware or anything else, just a commodity to be sold. Right, yeah. Then she discovers this newfound comfort in the power of storytelling as she goes along. And I wondered if you could give us a bit of insight into how that process unfolded for you. So, okay, so I'm going to kind
2: of pull from my historical romance sort of pocket here and say that, you know, one thing that women love about reading romance novels is that it gives them that thrill of getting to fall in love all over again. And so I really wanted to take that aspect of my writing and apply it towards reading. I wanted her to start off not being a reader. I wanted all of the readers who pick up this book to fall in love with reading all over again through Grace's eyes. I really wanted them to go on that journey and relive
0: that magical experience. So that was That's kind gorgeous. of the reasoning behind it. That's gorgeous because you did that. And yes, we have referred yeah. to your previous work. Now you've got nearly 40 books in that romance genre and then <laughs> yes. mainly Scottish and English and some mostly set in the medieval times but some in the 17th or 17th century or Regency. Right. In a situation like this, where this book is really different from what those ones are, some people might have considered starting with a different pen name or something like that. Did you ever consider that? So I confess I did consider it, but it is a lot
2: of work to have a new name. You have to have, you know, two websites and two social media accounts for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that stuff. And I have to be honest, on a day-to-day basis, I can really keep up with one of me, let alone incorporating another one of me. (laughs) So uh, really from an ease perspective, I think if I did do something very drastic, like if I ever did, you know, uh, like young adult or a medieval book or I'm sorry, middle school books or something, I probably would definitely consider a pen name. But since they're still historical, I figured I was probably good to go.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what inspired you to make that kind of transition from doing what is very much middle, middle road romance to a very much standalone historical fiction, woman's fiction, almost close to literary fiction novel. Well,
2: so I've actually always read historical fiction and I, you know, started off when I first was trying to write books, I started trying to do historical fiction and I wasn't sure how to wrap my brain around it per se, And then I read Outlander and I fell in love with Outlander and I thought, oh, maybe I can write a romance. And so, you know, I kind of put it together. And and so that was sort of the journey that I started off with Romance Writers of America, the RWA. It was such a great, you know, path to go down. And, um, of course, I do also love historical romance. And I will say that, you know, historical fiction is always one of my go-to genres so when I, I had this idea in mind, or I had an idea in mind for World War II historical fiction, which is my favorite part of historical fiction to read, my favorite time period. So I had the opportunity to write this book and I jumped at it. It just, I, and it was a joy to write. I mean, I am a total history nerd. I love history so much. And I just completely lost myself in it. And I enjoyed every single word that you see on the page.
0: Mm. Yes, that's wonderful. And the view we get of the Blitz, I mean, I've read quite a few World War II novels, and actually I must admit I'm the fruit of a World War II romance because my parents were both World War, my mum and dad were both in, in London during the war. So I've heard quite a lot about it, but I feel as if I've got a really fresh eyed view in this book that we got a really down to earth feeling of what it would have been like to be a young person in London at that time. Lots of very good tiny details that made it come alive. How did you manage the research for that, to get those details?
2: Oh my goodness, will I will say it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot of research. Um, one very big helpful piece was during the before, during and after the war, there was something called mass observation where it was some men who actually headed it with their, their own personal money. They actually paid these people to record their day-to-day dealings for, like I said, before, during, and after the war. And those were compiled into the mass observations. And reading through a lot of people's journal entries was very beneficial. Ironically, the weather on this book is all on point based on when the day is, primarily because of the mass observations. It's funny how many people start their journal entries with what the weather is like that day. But you know, one of the things I really got out of the mass observation was the feel for the spirit of the people going through that. So for example, like when Buckingham Palace was bombed, it wasn't this horrific, oh my gosh, Buckingham Palace was bombed. It was the King and Queen, they're just like us. They got bombed too. And, and it was this kindred spirit and you would never think that if, well, I wouldn't think that if I hadn't read that in the mass observation. And so I feel like it lent this realism to the people in my book and, and how they reacted to certain events. So Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, and it really
0: did. Of course, the weather was mattered to them also because if there was a lot of cloud, it was harder for the German bombers. So there was Absolutely. a kind of... Yeah, yeah. And I had never heard of Peter Noster Way, which was this very amazing, famous street where many of the bookshops and publishers were located. And I get it had been going for several hundred years at this stage. That part right. of it is true, isn't it?
2: Yes, it absolutely is true. And it actually still is today. And it's incredible when the when the bombing actually happened that night on Paternoster Row, over 5 million books were burned. And, you know, one thing that you have to think about, like, yes, it's <laughs> I, like it breaks your heart to even hear that. But this was also happening during a paper shortage So paper was being rationed at that time. So these books couldn't just be, you know, mass produced and put back on the shelves again. This was a very huge loss for the publishing
0: industry. Yeah. I'm just dealing with this thing about the books. Although this is called The Last Bookshop in London, that bookshop is is your imagination. Did any bookshop survive at all? Oh yes, there definitely were bookshops that survived. In yeah. fact,
2: Foils is one that I that I mentioned a couple of times. Yes. Foils is it was a bookstore. I think it was now I now I'm having to remember from my <laughs> memory. <laughs> I think it was four or five stories and he did new and used books and he um was almost kind of seen as like a like almost like a circus wheel 'em and them kind of thing. And you know, like little little things that I mentioned in there were actually real. Like for example, when he had sandbags that he filled with old books to protect his building, that was real. And he actually did line his roof with copies of Mein Kampf and the hopes that it would keep his establishment from being bombed. I mean, that's <laughs> where some of this stuff you just can't make up, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's absolutely
0: right. Yeah, there were some amazing details. That's exactly the sort of thing that I'm, I'm thinking of, really. I'm quite fascinated because you live in Florida, but you obviously are fascinated by history, particularly in England and Scotland. How did you first develop this fascination?
2: So um, I actually grew up in Germany for the most part. I'm an army brat. And so I got to travel all over Europe. And I really, you know, I really just fell in love with like the old castles and everything that they have to say. And and just the stories that I grew up listening to. I love all of it so much. So that's, I think that's kind of how I fell in love so much with, you know, British and history. So
0: would you ever consider writing something set in in the American historical period some one of them and if so which one oh yeah definitely I'm telling you when I say I
2: am a history lover I am like a hundred percent all-in history lover if it's history I will research it and I will write it which is why I do medieval 18th or 17th century regency and world war ii <laughs> <too. laughs> you know it's funny like because when I was doing my edits on this book I was writing a medieval and editing a regency, doing edits for my World War II and obviously living in modern day. So my brain really was expanding over, you know, many generations.
0: (laughs) And do you expect to keep the romance going as well? Are you still committed to doing romance or is that considered now to be something that you were doing but have moved on from?
2: I do still plan on keeping my romance going. I will say that I am definitely kind of tapering back more. I previously have written... Um, about eight books a year. And that pace is pretty grueling, I'm not going to lie. And the hard thing is I have so many stories in my head that I just want to get out. But unfortunately, my wrists are not able to keep up with it as much. So, you know, the nice thing about doing historical fiction is that obviously it takes a lot longer to write them. Write them as you have to do all the research. It's it's very much more labor intensive, but of course, a labor of love. And so, it's nice because it's given me the opportunity to slow down a little bit. And but I do still I will still be doing romance, but also definitely historian. Eight books a
0: year—that is just remarkable. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> crazy! Depending on how you look at it. <laughs> moving along a little bit from talking about the specific books to your wider career tell us something about your life before you became a full-time writer and did you have experiences that have now fed into your writing in a tangible way well i think that any experience
2: that i've lived yeah. through threads its way into my yeah. books i mean it's all of has made me who i am and who i am is what makes all of my books as far as my independent experience like or well what i did before I was writing uh, as a full-time or I'm sorry, you said published or just writing in general? Before you became a full-time writer. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so, but I actually only have been full-time writing for a year. I was, yeah. So for, I mean, I've been writing for about 12 years. I've been published for a little over five years. So really for a majority of it, I have been Uh, you know, full-time day job, full-time writer, full-time mom. I don't sleep too. You know, the funny thing is I only would sleep about four or four and a half hours when I was going through all of that. And now I'm up to like five or five and a half hours, (laughs) but I do take a nap every afternoon. You know, so it's actually been kind of nice now this, this last year, being able to just write full-time and just immerse myself in it. And not have to worry about every uh, one extra piece of everything. It's been a dream come true. I have to be
0: honest. That's, that's remarkable. So how on earth did you do eight books a year when you were also writing full time and being a mum? So just really a lot of work. I am
2: divorced, and so every other weekend my daughters go with my ex husband, and I would really pretty much work about twelve hours each one of those days. I get up at four o'clock in the morning to make sure that I get as much writing done as I can before the girls would go to school and before I had to go to work. If I was running behind on a deadline, I would work through my lunch break in the car or even a non-smoker break. I would sit there in the break room for 15 minutes, wherever you can get those words in, you know. And what was the job that you were doing? (laughs) Do you mind me asking? Oh, no, not at all. I did. Oh, gosh, no. Because there's like, the, of course, the corporate name and then like what I did. But basically, I wrote SQL sequel program sequel program code. So it was very much the opposite side of my brain.
0: <laughs> you gave your creative side something, a little sort of run when you got home. <laughs> exactly. I used to always say like, you know, coder by day,
2: lurid romance author by very early morning. <laughs>
0: That's lovely. Look, I I had a look on your website, of course, when I was doing some research for this, and I was sort of really taken with this phrase you had there about you said you loved goats dressed up in pajamas. Now, this is something that I had never heard of and I Googled it and I realized that it is a thing. It's probably a thing that you've become aware of because you've got daughters. But tell us about this thing. They actually are very cute, but tell us about goats oh, dressed up in pajamas. <laughs> so goats
2: in pajamas are just one of those feel-good things. Like if you're just having an awful day and you come home and you're like, man, I really need something that's just adorable It makes my heart go all warm and melty and makes me laugh. And you pull up goats and pajamas on YouTube and these goats with their little like happy bounding tails are, you know, running around in these adorable little flannel pajamas that people sew them. I don't even know how you would begin to coming up with an outfit for a goat, but they look so adorable and they're so happy. You know, you can't look at something like that and feel sad. So that's sort of where the goats and pajamas fascination came in. It just. They're just so happy.
0: (laughs) Do you you know how it actually began? How did did it start? I
2: have no idea, but I know that they sell sweaters for chickens on Etsy. So I pretty much figure that any animal out there has some
0: sort of clothing (laughs) or attire that they can wear. And I'm sure it looks adorable. Well, there is a perennial question that I like to ask everyone, but I think you might have already answered it for us. That is, is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that's the secret of your success?
2: You know, I will say when I first started writing, I actually, I'm very type A. And so I did about five years worth of intensive learning. I devoured every book on writing I could, every workshop, every conference I could find. I did all of it. And I just sucked in all of that knowledge. And then that's when I really started to actually put together my first, I had my, my, of course, I had my first books that nobody will ever see that, you know, were sort of, as I was like, oh, this will be a cool thing to do. And then I realized that I sucked. And then I learned five years worth of, of really under my belt knowledge and everything, just getting the basics and foundation for everything. And then that's when I really started writing. And I you know, it definitely took some patience and I'm so glad that I put in that time to do that
0: though. Yeah. Yeah. You certainly sound very type A. (laughs) What was, that made you think right at the beginning. I want to write fiction. Well, I'm just
2: an avid reader. Reading was such a huge part of my life, especially as a military brat. You know, I moved around from place to place. I was always the new kid. I was painfully shy when I was young, so I started to know my librarians more than I knew the kids in my class. And I was a book a day reader. So I just I think that stories just live inside of me, and I can't even help yeah, it. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's gorgeous.
2: I wouldn't have it any other way
0: either. (laughs) (laughs) Turning to Madeline as reader, that's an ideal segue into that. As we've mentioned, this is called The Joys of Binge Reading, and it does focus on the books that people read for entertainment and comfort, series often as well. So turning to your taste in reading, tell us about it widely, but particularly what would you like to binge read? So,
2: well, I, I, so I will say like, I do a lot of listening to my audio, to my books now just with being busy and everything. So I do a lot of audible and i just recently listened to one called The Five and I wrote it down just in case you asked me this question. And her name is um, Hallie Rubenhold and it's called The Five and it's about the five women who Jack the Ripper killed. And it's it's actually a nonfiction book, but it is written so beautifully and it's so rich with detail that I think any fiction lover would absolutely love this book as well. And uh, I mean, not going to lie, it made me totally want to write one of their books. <laughs> but i like, no, Madeline, that's another time period, slow down. <laughs> but I, it was really, really very beautifully written. I mean, I just, I binge listen to everything. I even have a couple girlfriends of mine who we go through and every single month we pick a new classic book to listen to. So, you know, it's up up next is Dracula and we're all very, very excited.
0: (laughs) So it's, it's, I'm all over the place, but I love it all. (laughs) So the five, did you definitely get the feeling there that these women who have always just been anonymous victims to most of us were given some sort of dignity and, and purpose by being brought to life in this book?
2: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I really feel like there is. I mean, I'm not going to get too much into it, but of course, you know the stereotype for women, especially back then, and women who didn't possess a lot of money. You know, I feel like a lot of stereotypes were sort of played on by the people who who uh, talk about it. But she really brings their stories to life. She lets you see how they grew up, and it really brings about a sympathy for what they lived through and everything that happened to them prior to being murdered by jack the ripper so it really i mean it's just an absolutely and it's so beautifully written too it's incredibly eloquent and it just really brings that time period to life and what those women would
0: have gone through yeah look it's great yeah We are starting to come to the end of our time together. So circling around, looking back down the tunnel of time at the stage in your career, if you were doing it all over again, is there anything you would change?
2: I probably, you know, I should say that I should stick to one time period, but I can't help it. I love it all. So no, I'm not going to say that. (laughs) I think I probably would have, gosh, It's hard because I really, I I feel like my journey has made me who I am as an author. And so it's hard to look back and really regret any of that. So I'm going to go with, I'm happy with how I've gone, (laughs) (laughs) which is a really boring,
0: you know, Miss America kind of answer, (laughs) but. (laughs) So I'm not, I must admit, obviously the last bookshop in London is, published traditionally, but are, are all of your books trade published or are some of them indie published?
2: Some of them are independently yeah. published. I do write with Harlequin Historical, primarily my regencies, and I will have a medieval coming soon with them as well. And the medievals are primarily through independent as well. So, so you, you are what they call a hybrid author.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> great because you get a good um, sense of the whole market when you're when you're working like that, don't you?
2: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you know there are definitely pros and cons to both sides and I get to play both of those depending on what book is coming out.
0: <laughs> so what is next for Madeline the writer? What have you got on your desk for the next 12 months or so?
2: So I have I have two medievals that I need to write one for myself, one for Harlequin Historical. Uh, I'm starting a new Regency series that will be coming out next January that will be independently published. And I may have another project that I can't talk about. I'm just going to leave it with that coy response right there.
0: So we're hoping that it's going to be something to do with World War II. Can you give a little hint?
2: The answer is
0: maybe, probably yes. (laughs) That's great. I'd hate to think that that was just going to be a one-off because it's definitely a very green sort of tip that started. Um, Do you enjoy hearing from your readers and where can they find you online? Oh, I absolutely love
2: hearing from readers. Thank you for asking. They can either go to my website at madelinmartin.com or they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Madeline M. Martin because somebody took my name. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then on Facebook, I'm Madeline Martin on there as well. So you can find me at any of those places anytime that you message me or send me, you know, ping me or whatever, I will respond. So you do, so. You do
0: spend some time on there as well as everything else you do. <laughs> yes, which is why I didn't want the yeah. pen name.
2: <laughs> I really don't know that I could manage. And, and And the thing is, I don't want to have an assistant respond for me ever. I want to always be the person who is responding to my readers. And that's very, very important to me. And that's also why I can only manage one of me.
0: <laughs> so what kind of things do readers say to you?
2: Um, Well, you know, I get all kinds of of, of feedback from readers. I have people asking for certain people's stories. I have people saying thank you for having written certain books, especially if they had a connection with one of the characters where a character may have lived through something that they have lived through and they have that connection and they reach out to let me know, which is always very, very special. And there's just, and and I even have readers that just reach out and they're like, hey, I just wanted to say hi and I really liked this book, you know, and they're, yeah. So all kinds of, of things, but I absolutely love hearing from my
0: readers. And if they suggest that they'd like to hear a story about one of your characters that you haven't already developed or whatever, do you take that advice and and follow it and and write something in response to their feedback? It depends. Well, I mean, of course, I'll always respond to them.
2: But if they want to have a book off of a certain character, I may not be able to do that. But I will always keep them sort of tucked in the back of my mind. I often do projects with other authors that require novellas and maybe we'll do an anthology together and that's perfect material for doing a novella maybe. And so I'll always kind of keep that in the back of my mind, like, Oh, I can do a novella for this person. That's fantastic. Yeah, so that's great. It helps. That's really
0: good. <laughs> so just to it, all of this, information will be in the show notes online so that we'll have links to all of your information and books so that people who are listening to the podcast and, and go to the show notes will be able to find it all at, at right at the end of a cursor so that'll be simple look thanks so much madeline it's been great talking today oh thank you so much for having me here it was a joy i feel a little <laughs> guilty about keeping you from your keyboard <laughs> Oh, no, you're perfectly fine. Well, you were so highly productive. That's fantastic. Okay, thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading.
0: The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm he is super easy to work with no matter what the job you'll find him at abe, A-B-E at pointandshoot.co.nz as i say the full details in the show notes on the website that's it for now thanks for listening hopefully see you next week bye